This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We'll look at top travel trends now that there will be relaxed quarantine rules for fully vaccinated returning Canadians and how one organization solved a problem that's endemic in our health system, patients who stay in hospital because they have nowhere to go. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. More than 150 Houston hospital workers have lost their jobs after refusing to get a COVID vaccine. Houston Methodist told its employees they had to get vaccinated by June the 7th. 153 who still refused either resigned or were fired. Some went to court where the judge threw out their lawsuit, ruling that it had falsely claimed the vaccines were experimental and dangerous. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is being urged to temporarily allow older Britons to retire earlier due to the impact of the ongoing pandemic. A petition that will be considered for debate in Parliament if it reaches 100,000 signatures asks the government to temporarily allow retirement with access to state pensions to reduce unemployment caused by the pandemic. A Calgary company founded by an ICU physician is being recognized with an international red dot design award for creating a medical device that allows a single ventilator to be safely used by up to four patients at once. Dr. Stephen Roy invented the Valence Invent Extend, which connects to a ventilator and allows each patient to have sufficient pressure while still triggering alarms in the event of an emergency. Ventilators can cost as much as $70,000, and Roy's invention provides an affordable solution to expanding the number available, costing around $50 per patient. Too many older adults are taking daily aspirin despite guidelines that now discourage it. Researchers at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, who call the numbers concerning, found one-half to 62% of U.S. adults 70 and older were using low-dose aspirin to cut their risk of heart disease or stroke. And aspirin use was common even among those with no history of cardiovascular disease, a group for whom the drug may do more harm than good. The study authors estimate nearly 10 million Americans who fall into that category are using aspirin. 
Some notable women will be honored on the U.S. quarter. Poet and author Maya Angelou, America's first woman in space, Sally Ride, and Wilma Mankiller, the Cherokee Nation's first female principal chief. They're among female trailblazers whose likenesses will appear on the 25-cent piece. The U.S. Mint says this new four-year initiative celebrates women who made historic contributions. The Mint will issue up to five new designs each year from 2022 to 2025. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Where's the first place you want to travel post-COVID? Zoomers are starting to prepare and plan now that fully vaccinated Canadians won't have to quarantine when they return home. I chatted with Zoomer Magazine's executive editor and travel expert, Vivian Vassos. People that have been missing their family and their friends are going to probably start traveling as soon as they can, as soon as it's safe at the destination they're going. Keep in mind that this rule is for people returning home, and we still have to have tests, negative tests, uh, three days beforehand, as well as when you come back. So you're not off the hook completely. It's really important that people remember it. These are rules for returning Canadians. So you have to make sure you know about the destination you're going to and how their COVID protocols are in place, how safe you'll feel when you're there. It's really important that, you know, you check with your airline or your travel advisor or whomever may have booked the flight for you, even if you booked it yourself. It's really important that you check the, the protocols. Is COVID changing travel? And and what do you see as a post-COVID kind of a trend or trends? Uh, Well, I do think it's changing travel. I think people are a lot more cautious. I think they're going to be a a lot more choosy as to where they go. They're going to want to spend a little more money because they do have this pent-up cash uh, sitting there. So the wide open spaces, that green, that outdoors where it's fresh air, Space. That is going to be something that a lot of people are going to be thinking about. I do think the industry um, has been so slammed and so uh, it's just been damaged so much by the COVID that the industry itself, the airlines, the hotels, the hospitality, the restaurants, they are going to be working doubly hard to get us back, to get us back to travel. So that's a really good thing. The wide open spaces, the multifamily, like places where you can book three or four villas or a whole Florida hotel with adjoining or connecting rooms where you can still kind of have a bit of a bubble. So I think those things, I think it's really important that, um, that we ease into it, that there isn't a mad rush to get out there because I, I do think that that can also cause problems from the other side because hospitality has been so uh, hard done by in this, in this process that sometimes some of them aren't quite ready yet. So we need to kind of, you know, slow into it. And I think indicators show that Canadians are a little more um, apt to kind of take baby steps back into the process. I've seen things described regenerative travel, more wanderlust. What what do those things mean? There's two kinds of ways to look at it. Regenerative is also an idea of sustainability. So when you're out there, you're really mindful of how you're spending your money and where you're going. And will your will your dollar help those communities, help the humans, help the animals, help the ecosystem? So that's regenerative from a, from a holistic perspective that benefits all of us. The other is more about wellness and sort of disconnecting yourself and taking the time to really spend time in these places. And I, I do see that as a trend where rather than just sort of 
going from one to another to another, you're spending more time. You're taking a deeper understanding of where you're going. So you're going to spend a whole week in London rather than just three days, or you're going to spend a, a lot longer in a national park or a dark sky preserve. What we're seeing is more time being spent away, but part of that time you you continue to work. So it allows you a longer uh, time away or a longer time with your family or your friends or a longer stay somewhere. So you're living there locally, but you're also working. So you kind of, it's it's a little bit, it's also sort of a take on that pleasure, that business and leisure kind of word that was bouncing around a couple of years ago where you would try to tack on three or four days of leisure or pleasure travel onto your business trips. So workations, and, and this is a thing, uh, definitely a trend that we're seeing, it's just longer stays allowing yourself to be in a place for a longer time, but still do work. Any other trend you want to tell us about? Well, I mean, Canada, always. The more we can get out there and see it before everyone else can come into the country, better. It's a wonder. River cruising, I think, is going to come back. I know cruising really got, uh, you know, really got hit hard. But traveling, unpacking once and um, knowing exactly who your staff is every single day for seven days, 14 days, 21 days, six months, whatever it is you're choosing, I think cruising is actually going to really make a big comeback. There's a lot going on in 2022 next year in Europe, whether it's the Queen's Platinum Jubilee in Great Britain, the Floriad, which is an incredible horticultural uh, fair in Holland. Germany has the Oberammergau, which is the passion play. But I do think the one trend that is perhaps the most important is that Ask an expert. Get in touch with a travel advisor or an agent. They can tell you about insurance. They can get you out of a place if things change because, as you and I both know, it is a moving target. COVID-19 changes. It morphs into things. And having someone here at home as a sort of anchor to help you navigate is really, uh, I think, one of the most important trends we'll see in travel over the next little while. Great. Vivian Vassos, thanks so much for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Zoomer Magazine's executive editor, Vivian Vassos. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, one solution to a huge problem in the healthcare system, alternate level of care. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, Canada's largest and most influential association fighting for the interests of Canadians as we age. Find out more at carp.ca. It's a problem that plagues our healthcare system. Patients who no longer need to be in hospital but can't go home and have nowhere else to go. There are about 4,000 of these patients in Ontario hospitals, and some are stuck there for years. It's miserable for them, expensive for the system, and takes up much-needed acute care beds. One organization found a solution for people with mental health and addiction issues. I talked with Heather McDonald, CEO of Loft Community Services. Hospitals are really designed to consolidate acute care, healthcare experts and equipment, right? And over time, trust built and they had 24-7 access and people started accessing hospitals for all of their care. So we really needed to have a system response to the biggest pressure point. And COVID sure brought those to light. 
So one of the big pressures that Loft and our hospital partners were faced with was how do we free up hospital capacity as much as possible? The challenge was let's work with our hospital partners and design something that's designed around the user, that's designed around the people that are in hospital that don't have anywhere to go. Mostly the issue is there's no place for this person to go. So usually it's a person who needs long-term care. There's no bed. So how did you find the physical spot with appropriate supports? You mentioned that lots of people are waiting for long-term care. And I would say a lot of people are waiting or deem they should go to long-term care that they don't necessarily need to go to long-term care. There are other options around supportive housing. And there are really three big ingredients you need for it to be successful. One is the affordability. So a lot of people are in hospital because they have nowhere to go because they cannot afford it. Um, And they are homeless. They have nowhere to go. So affordability is really important. The second is the right design of housing. So even looking at CAMH's population of people who would be deemed alternate level of care, 48% of them are over the age of 55. What that presents are likely physical health issues, more frail elderly. They They need a space that is accessible and is designed well for their needs. And then the third is the support. And this, we believe, has to be integrated with primary care with our hospital partners. I would assume it's a resource issue. The opportunity presented with CAMH's site on College Street near Spadina, they recently moved their uh, some of their hospital care and their emergency um, department to their central campus on Queen Street and emptied their site on College Site. This is an accessible site. We had to do some renovations to make it more home because we are we are a supportive housing provider. We wanted to create that transition out of hospital into a home, more home-like environment. So we worked with ChemH and did those renovations, and this was a great space for us to be able to then move people out of the hospital. And we're currently working with ChemH and now also UHN, or University Health Network, moving uh, patients out of the hospital into this transitional site, and then they are transitioning from there potentially into our own loft housing. Some have moved home with uh, loved ones and family, or potentially long-term care. How many alternate level of care patients are there in CAMH? It's 115 people currently in uh, hospitals who have mental health and addiction challenges. They represent 54% of the days in ALC. They are actually in hospitals 13.4 times longer than any of those other patients. How much did it cost and where did you get the money? We were funded actually through all the hospitals received access to COVID surge money or money from the government to help with the COVID response and to create capacity. So uh, this is a short term. Uh, this is a project funded through those COVID surge dollars. And I'm working hard to see if we can secure permanent funding for this project. Do you think your project is a model for ALC and other areas and people with other types of conditions? Absolutely. I think what's required is that we often as a healthcare system are organized around sectors or expertise. So I'm, I do the physical health issues. I do the mental health and addiction issues. I do this. And what 
the people who are in ALC are calling us to do is to actually design everything around them. And they may come with unmanaged diabetes as well as a serious mental health issue. They may come with mobility challenges as well as behavioral issues related to dementia or alcoholism as well as being an amputee. We need to design systems that address that complexity um, and come together to do that. So it's really only through integrated care with our partners that we'll be going to be able to do that. Okay, Heather McDonald, thanks so much. All right, thank you so much for your time. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Heather McDonald, CEO of Loft Community Services. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.